So anyway, we're here today. I'm going to talk to you today about worry. And uh, we all know that we're not supposed to worry, but for some reason we still do. Uh, it's easier said than done. And uh, just so we're clear, I want to define something for you. What is worry? What is worry? Well, worry, worry is when we dwell on things that we can't control. And worry is like when we run all those terrible scenarios about what possibly could happen. Um, do you know what I'm saying? Can I get some sort of feedback here? Yes, that's right. And you know that there's plenty of things in life that we can worry about. We can worry about money. We can worry about relationships, finding someone romantic to be involved with or dumping the wrong person. COVID-19 and our health and uh, our work, our boss, our future. There's plenty of things to worry about. There's an endless supply of things that we can worry about. And to make matters worse, sometimes the things we worry about are connected to our experiences as younger people. And when we zoom out and we look at our lives, uh, there's sometimes something that's called chronic anxiety that can work its way into our life. And that chronic anxiety can be connected to something that we've experienced as a younger person. And while I'm not going to dive deep into what anxiety is today, worry can be something that plagues us on a weekly basis, on a daily basis, and we can go a long, long time and continue to worry about things. And as you know, this is not good. Um, you know, we have to deal with this. We have to deal with worry because why? Why do we need to deal with worry? Well, if we don't deal with worry, we know this. It affects our mental health. It affects our emotional health. It affects us physically. I don't need to go through all the studies. You know, you know that anxiety and worry kill us. You get that. You understand that. That when we carry something in our minds and our hearts, when we dwell on things that we can't control, it affects our physical bodies. And worse than that, like worry literally does nothing for us, and it's a huge waste of time. So if you're like me, which you are, you and I would both agree that we want to live longer lives, and we don't want to waste our time. And so we've got to. We've got to think about worry. And we have to think about worry in the context of who Jesus is and what he says. Because, after all, we're here at a church, and we're going to talk about what Jesus says about this. So are you with me? Okay, you understand why worries? Thank you. Are you worried? I'm, I actually, to be honest, I was talking to Nikki before this, and I was like, you know, I'm actually a little worried about this talk. <laughs> I don't know, I'm serious. I'm like, what is going on? God, please. So um, God's presence is here. Uh, but let's just pray one more time, you know, for good measure. I'm going to pray. I've called today's talk, Don't Worry About a Thing. Will you pray with me? So God, we do invite you to be here. We invite you to speak to us about worry. And God, um, we're going to pause right now. And God, we, we want to hear from you. And we know the things in our minds, in our hearts, the things that we're worrying about, the things that we're holding on to, the things that we have concern for, God, we, we want you to do something with that. So show us a different way. Help me to speak as I should. In Jesus' name, amen. So today we're going to be looking at the words of Jesus in the book of Matthew. Now, if you got one of those little handy-dandy handouts, in there is a uh, sheet that has some announcements. And like one of them's like, go to Kara's house on Friday. And another one says, uh, next steps, next Sunday. But on the other side, 
you're going to see, okay, it says don't worry about a thing. Um, might have, I think it has the right date on it, but like it should have Matthew 6. Matthew 6, starting in verse 25. Um, what, it doesn't have Matthew 6? Oh, it doesn't have the handout? Which, 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 which? I'm sorry. Oh, they're right over there. Can we hand those out? They're right, they're right over there. Yeah. So, okay, um, we're going to have something that's going to be going through. Uh, you, do you have it? This side has it. This side doesn't have it. All right. All right. Anyway, I'm going to start reading in Matthew 6. If you didn't get one, you can follow along, and you can take lots of copious notes, and we'll go from there. So in Matthew 6, verse 25, it says, Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown in the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough troubles of its own. All right. So Jesus says, don't worry. He says, don't do it. And also what Jesus is saying here is that the problem of worry isn't out there. It isn't actually the latest strain of COVID-19. It's not coming from Wall Street. It's not coming from your least favorite politician's ability to consolidate power at the next midterm election. The worry that you're experiencing is coming from inside of you, and it's coming from inside of me. And he's saying to his audience, he's saying, listen, I know you're worried, but you don't have to let your worries control you. You don't have to let the world wash over you with its idea of worry, that you have a choice in the matter. We can be different than what the culture tells us. We don't have to worry. But you know what? You have to look beyond that, right? Okay, very good. Thanks. Thanks for telling me, Chris, that we don't have to worry like I didn't know. Duh. Um, there has to be more to it. So why? Why not worry? Why can we take Jesus at his word? And this is the first thing, if you're taking notes, write this one down. But the first thing that you need to see, why we shouldn't worry, is we need to consider the source. We need to consider who is telling us not to worry. And in this particular case, it is Jesus who's telling us not to worry. We, so think about it this way. We think about the credibility of sources in almost everything that we do. 
How many football fans do we have in the room? Be proud and loud. You know, the, it's the, you know, okay, yeah, okay, very few here. <laughs> well, here comes an illustration about football. You know what I'm talking about. So, yeah, she used to work at the NFL. Am I allowed to say that? I'm sorry. Okay, cool. All right, I'm glad you're here. Used to, former. Oh, yeah. Hey, you got, anyone here lo uh, love the NFL enough to work for them? I'm sorry. I don't want to call you guys out. But they, they used to work for the NFL, or do, so, currently do. No, they're, they're out. Okay. So you still like the NFL? Okay, okay, good. Okay, good, good, good. Move on. Move on, Chris. Um, <laughs> thanks, for, thanks for letting me play. That's my bad. Um, so let's pretend you're a football fan for a minute. Now, when it comes to helpful insights into what's going to happen in your favorite teams uh, today, whatever your favorite team is, what your favorite team should do, the strategy that they have, who is more credible? Who is more credible? Is it the retired pro quarterback who played for a number of years in the league uh, that, used, that actually scored touchdowns? Uh, he now works for Fox NFL Sundays, and he's providing color commentary before the game. Is that the person who has the most credibility? Or is it your friend who sits on the couch and has never picked up a football in his life, and he's got the chips, you know? <laughs> you know, he's like, if I was out there, I would have scored a touchdown. And then he has lots of opinions in the chips and the squashed up cans and says, who has more credibility when it comes to football, to giving advice about football? Okay, let me give you a different illustration, you know, um, because uh, when it comes to your physical health, who is more credible at giving medical advice? Is it, a, is it a medical doctor who's done a residency, who's gone to school to study these things? Is, is that the person? Or, or is it your, your cousin who uses her, does her own internet medical research on her phone while she's sitting on her toilet? I'm sorry. It's in the script. I have to say it. Who's more credible? Who's more credible? Is it your cousin? She's like, well, you know. It's a rash. Anyways, <laughs> or is it a medical doctor? Who's more credible? Who's the source? You've got to consider the source. Okay, and let me give you a third example. When it comes to the most definitive resource, the most definitive list on movies that you should watch this year, the movies that have come out this year, the best movies of the year, who is the most credible resource? Is it, in fact, the great one himself, Patrick Vukovic, right here? Yes, He's like, he, he looked at me, he goes, yes it is, I am the source, I am the source, I am the one, Neo. Alright, so he is the source, why, did, why, maybe because he sees about 90 movies a year just in the theater, that doesn't include, like he is an actual guy that does this, and, um, <laughs> and or is he the credible source, or is it me? who still thinks that You've Got Mail is the greatest romantic comedy of all time. <laughs> I like you. I like you, girl. By the way, it's a lot of white, uh, white people on white outfits in the front row here. I just want to acknowledge that when we were worshiping, I knew there was a lot of whiteness <laughs> happening over here. Yeah, I am not the most credible source when it comes to movies. Patrick is. Consider the source. Now, when it comes to worry, when it comes to worry, who is more credible? Who's more credible when it comes to worry? Is it the... Is it the opinions, the people with the opinions, with the anxious thoughts about you and how you need to find romantic love? Those people in your life who've never successfully navigated one healthy relationship that have a lot of opinions and they're like, hey, you're, you know, your clock is ticking, you better get going. You better, get, you better hurry up and get this. Is, are those the people that we want to listen to? 
Is it the news articles that we read on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter? Uh, they're written by news organizations uh, that have clickbait headlines that actually profit from ambiguity and anxiety. Is that, is that the people that understand our worry the best, that really do want to help us the most? Or is it Jesus? Is it Jesus? You see, we need to remember that the person telling us not to worry is Jesus. And why is that important? Well, Jesus was a real human that lived in the real historical world that had real world problems and real life experiences. And what we know from the stories of Jesus is that Jesus lived a hard life. Jesus had plenty of reasons to worry. Did you know that Jesus was never rich? He was never the member of a country club. Most sources, and so I should say some sources, even think that Joseph, Jesus' stepdad, really wasn't totally around his whole life. We see no mention of him in the Bible after the age of 12. Some sources think that Mary, his mother, was a single mother by the time Jesus was an adult. So there's this chance that Jesus kind of grew up out without a somewhat of a, a human father figure. We see that Jesus never lived in a gated community. We know, see that Jesus never owned a home. He certainly didn't, didn't live in a rent control building in Santa Monica like I do. And in fact, Jesus, get this, Jesus knew ahead of time that he was going to be executed by people. He was going to be wrongly accused, and he was going to be thrown into jail. He was going to be beaten and mocked and torn down, and then they were going to nail him to a cross. He knew all that was going to happen, and then he sits there like this, and he goes, don't worry about a thing. Don't worry about a thing. The bottom line is this. We can trust Jesus when he says don't worry because he actually understands life. He understands what we're going through. Just like it's easier to hear an encouragement from somebody uh, when you have a bad uh, like medical diagnosis, it's easier to hear an encouragement from somebody who's also experienced that sickness or that medical diagnosis. And just as if you know if you've ever lost someone close to you, you know it's easier to hear a difficult word or a difficult uh, point of view from someone who's also lost somebody. You get this. And so in every way, Jesus knows what it's like to face really hard things. And this should be comforting to us. And this should be comforting to us. And if you're not fully convinced of this, what I would encourage you to do is make a note this week uh, in your notes and go back and read one of the books of the Bible that are about the stories of Jesus. That's Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. And when you go and read those, one of those books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, and you look at the stories of Jesus, look at those stories through the lenses of oppression, through difficult circumstances and hardships. Because what you will find is that Jesus experienced a lot of them. And he knows something that we aren't always clear of, that he says, don't worry. You don't have to worry. So is my point clear here? that we need to consider the source, the source that Jesus says that we don't have to worry, and that should mean something to us. Now, the second thing, if you're taking notes, the second thing is we need to remember who is in control. Who is in control? Now that you have your handouts, look at uh, verse 27. It says, can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? So... 
JC, he's getting at a really important issue here. You and I cannot control the uncontrollable. And look, there's just, there's just so many things in the world that we think that we control, we can control, but we can't control it. We just can't. We can't control politicians. We can't. They're their own people. They can do their own thing. We can't control what our neighbors are doing or not doing. We can't control the color of our skin or the shape of our bodies to a degree. We can't control what our boss might be thinking about us. Kara, I'm thinking good things. Tara, think a good thing. I'm the, I'm the boss. So, and just, you know, the honest truth is we don't have much control at all. And the hard truth is, is that worriers have control issues. Let me ask you a personal question. Are you worrying about something? Do you struggle with worry? Now, there might be legitimate worries that you need to work through, and I understand that. But if you, are, if you are, you may need to look beyond the worries of your life and consider that you may have a control issue. The source of your worry might be connected to your need for control. And something that Jesus says that you don't have much of at all. You don't have any control. Jesus says you can't control much of anything. You can't add an hour, single hour to your life, and you can't add a few inches to your height. If you could, I would have asked for inches to my height years ago, and I would have become a professional. The only thing holding me back from being in the NBA was my height at all. That's the only thing. You know, and, uh, so what do we do instead? What do we do instead? Well, Jesus says, consider the wildflowers. Look at the flowers of the field. Look how he takes care of them. How much more will he take care of you and me who are human beings, who are made in his image? We can be encouraged because God is in control. Do you really believe that? Do you really believe that God is in control? And some of you don't, and some of you have really good reasons why you don't. But for those of you who do, who say and claim you do, do you really believe that God is in control? Because if you do, then you actually don't have to be anxious. Think about it. If God is in control of everything, and if God really will work everything out for your good, then what do you have to worry about now? Well, I don't know, because that means God rules over Satan. It means God rules over viruses. God rules over banks and corporations and corporate insider trading in Wall Street. God rules over your boss. God rules over all people, including your ex. You know, and God rules over your children and the schools that they go to. He rules over the jobs that you're applying for. He rules over your body and the chemistry in it. God rules over your loved one, your children. He rules over them. This should be good news. But we need to say something about this. Will you experience hard things in the future? Yes. Will there be difficulty in the world? Yes. If worse comes to worse, will God, your heavenly Father, still be in control? Yes. Does he know the things in the world that are about to happen? Yes. But will he work it together for our good? The answer is yes. That God is in control. We need to remember who's telling us not to worry. It's Jesus. And then we need to remember who's in control. It's God. I want to tell you a story. Um, last summer um, was the middle of 2020. And boy, that was depressing because of the COVID. 
And um, I was going through a, a, a hard time with the church. And um, because we were meeting and like we, we started in 2018, it was a lot of fun and we were growing and people were experiencing God for the first time. And we used to meet indoors uh, because the air was healthy and uh, it was really fun. And then all of a sudden we got boom, we got shut down. And overnight I turned into this YouTube preacher that was really bad and I would like pre-record things. And some of you watched them. Uh, um, the great one, Patrick Vukovic, watched all of them. And, um, and I appreciate that. <laughs> he shook his head. He's like, I did not. <laughs> he probably showed up. You did, you did watch him? Okay, cool. I'm picking on, uh, you know. So um, thank you. Yeah, okay, okay, okay. Thank you for doing that. So it was not what I wanted. And then it was like we were like building this thing with me and all of my friends. And then all of a sudden it was totally like just gone. And I remember taking it personally. This is what I'd, my wife and I and my friends, we had spent our last five years like building. I mean, this is like we came out here to be a part of Johnson & Johnson. We also came out here to do this. And it was really hard, and I was taking it hard, and I was getting worried, and there was a lot of anxiety. And one of the weird things that happened in my worry and in my anxiety during the bottom part of COVID, I think it's the bottom, right? We're, we're higher now? Uh, <laughs> um, one of the bottom things is I, my worry and my anxiety around what was happening with COVID translated into a lie. And I actually started to believe that the reason the church wasn't meeting was it was my fault. <laughs> like it was somehow my fault that the government said, don't meet anymore. And I was like, oh man, that's my fault. Like, do you see how crazy that is? It's crazy. And I was really like torn up about it and I couldn't get out of it. And I felt so responsible. And I felt like, man, like I felt like a lot of you did. Like, you felt, like, hopeless and desperate, and, um, and like, like you, it was hard to see the light at the end of the tunnel. And, and so, um, you know, um, I found myself, like, like, alone this one time, and, uh, of course, I was listening to worship music, because that's what pastors do. Sometimes such Christian things happen in my house. It's like, man, you are a pastor. So, so I'm sitting around listening, like, Lord, help me. I feel terrible. And I wasn't taking it that seriously. And um, it was in a moment, I felt like God's Spirit fell on me. And I felt like God's Spirit came in and he, like, started to talk to me about Chris. This is what I felt like he said. He said it to my mind and in my heart. He said, Chris, you've done everything I've asked you to do. You've done everything I've asked you to do. You don't need to worry. You don't need to hold on to this. I've got you. I will take care of you, and I will take care of your church. And I got to tell you, that's a weird thing to say and admit and, and whatever, but I tell you, it was instant. It was instant. From that moment, I started sleeping better. I didn't quite stop complaining about everything, but inside my spirit, at the deepest part of me, in the, I knew in my knower, if could, that could be a thing, you know, like you know in your knower, like that everything is going to be okay. Deep in my soul, the Spirit of God cut through all of my worry and anxiety, things that I was believing that weren't even true. He cut through that, and I started to walk with more confidence. And nothing happened for like another year, and we just relaunched five weeks ago. And I needed that. And I was like, yeah, well, you know, we'll see. You know, it, it changed. Was I upset? Did I like the way everything was handled with COVID? No. Uh, yes, I was upset. No, I didn't like the way everything was handled with COVID. Uh, but still, there was a deep change that happened in me. 
And I really look at that moment as God impressing upon me through the power of his spirit that like he was in control. So do we believe that? Do we believe that it's Jesus who is credible? And do we believe that God is in control? I think we should. Now, in this set of verses, when Jesus is talking about this, he, he does this thing where he like switches gears. Look at verse 33 with me. He says, instead of worrying, you need to do this. He says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So, okay, uh, what does that even mean? What's he getting at? You see, he understands, this is the kind of the genius of Jesus here. He understands that minds are kind of like a cup. And that cup is going to be filled with something. And you can't just detach and not think about something because the more you not think about it, you'll think about it. Let me give you an example. Here's what I want you to not do. Do not think about penguins right now. Whatever you do, don't think about a penguin. Don't think about their cute little bow tie bodies. Don't think, don't think about their... Now, if I say that, what are you doing? Some of you, some of you are going to be very rebellious and be like, I was not thinking about it. But most of you did start to actually think about penguins. And it's the same thing with worry. You can't just say, let's not worry. Let's not worry. No, let's not worry. Because that's not how the mind works. The mind is like a cup. It's going to be filled with something. You can't totally detach from something completely. And by the way, this is the difference between uh, Eastern meditation and Christian meditation. Now, Eastern meditation, the thing we would far, find in the Far East, what they do very well is they detach from everything. We need to detach from everything physical. We need to detach ourselves. We need to pull back. We need to not worry. We need to not think about this. And they detach. The difference between Eastern meditation and Christian meditation is, in fact, we do the same thing. We try to detach from everything physical, but at the, and in the same moment, we actually attach ourselves to Jesus. We're not totally detached from, we detach from everything, but then we're attached to Jesus. The mind is going to be filled with something, whether you want it to or not. So what are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with your mind? And Jesus, understanding this, looks at his audience just as he looks at us, and he says, instead of worrying and thinking about the things that you cannot control, the things that are in your mind that you're dwelling on, like you're running all the scenarios about what could happen in your life, don't do that. Instead... You should be more preoccupied with my kingdom. Seek first my kingdom and my righteousness. Well, what does that mean? What does that mean, Chris? Well, what is the kingdom? You see, we can do life in our own way. We can do a lifestyle that copies what everyone else is doing in our culture. Or we can live the way Jesus invites us to live. And so when this is what it means when Jesus says, you know, uh, seek first my kingdom. You see, the kingdom isn't necessarily like you're punching your ticket to get to heaven. The kingdom is a way of life that we're invited into. It's a way of relating to the world that's different than the way we were originally taught. And it's life as it was meant to be lived, and it's life that has spiritual power. So when Jesus says, Seek first my kingdom and my righteousness. It practically looks like this. Well, uh, but before I do that, before you get to the practical, if you want to learn more about this, you've got to read the Bible. 
there are stories in the Bible that show us what the kingdom is. I, like I said before, I recommend reading the first four books of the New Testament, which is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That can help you with this. But let me summarize. Let me summarize the kingdom for you. The, summarizing the kingdom goes like this. The kingdom starts with the good news. For Christians, seeking the kingdom and the righteousness always begins with the good news of Jesus. And for Jesus, followers of all the things that God invites us to do, it always begins with relationship. To be a follower of Jesus means that we don't press into religion, we press into relationship with God. And like I said earlier, if you were here for our communion, religion is I obey, therefore I am accepted by God. But the good news of Jesus is I am accepted by God through what Jesus has already done. And every time we say, look, I'm the, I don't want to be the center of my life. I want you, Jesus, to be the center of my life. We are aligning ourselves with the kingdom of God. We're saying we don't have it all figured out. We are saying in humility that we need help. And God, we want you to be the center of our lives. And from that relationship with Jesus, this begins to transform different parts of our lives. But it always begins with Jesus. And it always begins with trusting Jesus. And after we welcome Jesus into our life, we see that the kingdom of God, we see that the influence of Jesus and his spirit starts to affect us in different ways. So, you know, um, every time, every time we choose to obey God's word, even if it's hard, even if it's difficult, even if it goes against popular culture, whether that's a word about sex or money or power or how we treat people when they're not around or how we gossip about people in our lives, every time we do what God's word says about something, we are aligning with the kingdom. We are seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness. And every time, every time we do something, a few weeks ago we did this, uh, many of us uh, wrote in our, in our phones, we said, God, will you help create a divine appointment for me? Every time we ask God, God, will you create a divine appointment for me to encourage someone, to care for someone, to bless somebody who's in need. And when that opportunity comes, when we act on it, and when we partner with the Holy Spirit by allowing him to work through us to care for someone who needs a word of encouragement, who needs help, every time we do that, that's seeking first the kingdom of God. Are you, are you following what this looks like, what this could look like for you? Every time, and this is where I want you to hear this, every time you settle your differences with a coworker, you make peace with a coworker, and you settle your differences, the hard time that you're having with that person, you've been having a difficult time, that is a sign of the God's kingdom. Because what happens in the real world? In the real world is you go to war. You go to war with that person. But the kingdom of God is different. The kingdom of God flips it and we say, look, I'm here to seek peace with you. I'm here to make this right because God has made peace with me and now I get to make peace with you. Every time we sympathize with someone who's in mourning, every time we sympathize and draw close to someone who's in need or someone who's suffering, every time we're in a position of power at a job or with a child in our life and we show mercy because we were shown mercy first, every time we don't retaliate 
even though we're right. I'm right, you're wrong, I'm allowed to retaliate, but I don't retaliate because that's not the way. I, every time I don't retaliate, every time we love for uh, and pray for and seek the best for our enemies, every time we pray for the people who are against us, who are out for us, who want us to lose, our, our professional enemies, our personal enemies, our exes, the people in our life who we thought were friends. Every time we pray for our enemies and we pray for blessing, we're doing something so different than the rest of the world. That would be an example of what Jesus invites us to do. Every time we pray for the health and success of people who vote differently than us, I don't care what side of the aisle you're on, I don't care if you're left or right, you have a place at Pax City. We will not be a place of political polarization. I repeat that. We will not be a place that's for just left and just right. We believe that under the banner of Jesus that everybody is welcome. We believe that, and that's important to us. And so every time you run into someone, possibly in this church, who votes differently than you, you pray for them. And you say, Lord, <laughs> you help, you, so you draw close to them, and you, 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 you care for them. You don't, you, don't, you don't put your priorities around political tribe or what you think about a person's personal life ahead of caring for someone. Every time we do that, that is seeking first God's kingdom and his righteousness. And you've got to hear this, that the kingdom of God is so much more, and it's so much more exciting than sitting around and worrying. You could give your life to it. I've tried to, and I know many of you have too. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? You're going to sit around and try to control things that you can't control? You don't have mind control. You can't do it. And so Jesus says, don't worry about it. Instead, get preoccupied with the good stuff of the kingdom. Okay, I want to say one more thing before I close. So Jesus is talking about worry. I get that. Don't worry. He's like, trust me, because I'm credible. He's saying God is in control. Uh, you know, the kingdom is way more exciting. I just summarized my whole talk. I, I hope you realize I'm doing it. It, it, it. You know, as we're drawing to the close. Uh, you know, he's like, be preoccupied with my kingdom, because that's way more fun. It's abundantly more fun. But he's also doing one more thing. He's doing one more thing that I think can help us. He says that God is our heavenly father. Now just pause and think with me about that. Jesus paints a beautiful picture of a father. Now, I don't know what your earthly dad was like. I don't know if he was an addict. I don't know if he was abusive. Uh, I don't know if he was distant. If, I don't know if he abandoned you. I don't know um, if he was like pretty good. Not great, but he was good. Uh, I don't know what your dad was like. But Jesus paints this picture, this beautiful picture of a heavenly father. He paints a picture of a father who loves us, who cares for us, who's, who's for us, who's trying to open our eyes to be a part of a bigger world that we just can't see. Jesus paints a picture of God the Father as kind of like a dad, a dad coming to a kid, like, hey, son, I know you're worried, but you don't have to be. Like, I'm your dad. I'm going to take care of it. You don't have to worry about this. I've got you. Hey, daughter, my precious daughter, my beautiful daughter, what are you worried about? I've got you. I can help you. I've got this. I can take care of this. 
like most of us in America, I think about Disney once a week. <laughs> and as I was thinking about this idea of Heavenly Father, I'm, I'm thinking about it, and I'm like, wow. The, you know, and what he's saying here, there's this deeper thing that he's trying to do with us. The image, the, the, the illustration that comes to mind is uh, The Lion King. Has anyone ever seen The Lion King? This is an easy participation question. Yes, okay, cool. I'm not going to look to see who doesn't because I don't want to. Um, the Lion King is a movie starring uh, JTT. Is that right? Yeah, everybody. <laughs> Jonathan Taylor Thomas, Tool Time. Oh. There's some other people in there. Nathan Lane. Nathan Lane's in there, right? Yeah. Um, and in The Lion King, you know, it's a silly illustration, but I think it does to help us get get to what I'm getting at here. Um, you know, Simba thinks he's pretty cool, and then he goes away and hangs out with the Hakuna Matata kids. And he comes back like a man. He, he falls in love with uh, Lana. Is it Lana, the lion? Yeah, sure. Oh, uh, Nala. That's what I said. <laughs> Falls in love. Now he goes back, and he goes back to the. He knows he needs to go back, and he's making his way back, and he sees that the kingdom, since Mufasa left, is in disarray. It's completely destroyed. He knows there's a problem. He knows that he, he he's going to have to confront Scar, his uncle, and Scar is a really bad guy because of the whole thing and. And he's worried, and he's anxious, and he's upset, and he's like, what am I going to do? I don't know what to do. I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to do this. And there's this incredibly powerful moment. Uh, and his father, the spirit of his father, reaches out and talks to him. Do you know the scene? Do you know what I'm talking about uh, towards the end? Right? Are, okay? Okay? All right. So he talks to him, and... The scene goes something like this. Okay, this is Mufasa, and then I'm going to read Simba, then I'm going to read Mufasa again. Okay, so this is Mufasa, James Earl Jones style. <laughs> you have forgotten, this is Mufasa, you have forgotten me. You are, you've forgotten who you are, and you have so forgotten me. Look inside yourself, Simba. You are more than what you have become. You must take your place in the circle of life, Simba. How can I go back? I'm not who I used to be. And then what does Mufasa say? Do we all know? Mufasa says, remember who you are. You are my son and the one true king. And then he does, remember who you are. And he disappears. Here's why I like this. And this is why it's important for you. Simba knew, or no, Simba didn't know, but what Simba needed was more than a dose of good truth. Simba needed an experience that would help him to recover who he was. He would help him to recover his true identity. He needed more than just a no-duh, don't worry about things, the kinds of truths that we hear all the time. He needed to be touched in a new way that would remind him who he was and who he needed to be. And I believe that that kind of an illustration is important and key for some of us today. Unlike Mufasa, who is a fictional big cat dad, God our Father is real. And he can break through un 
any unhealthy neural pathways and patterns and lies that we believe about ourselves. His Spirit can break through our worries, our concerns, our anxieties. When He says to us by the power of His Spirit, when He says to us, remember who you are. Remember that you are my son. Remember that you are my daughter. And He's looking right at you. He's looking right at me. He's with us in this field right now. He's with us here. And I believe that for some of you, the only way forward is for you to experience the healing touch that comes from God, the healing touch that comes from your Heavenly Father. It won't be enough for you to swear off worrying from here on out. I swear I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm just not going to do it because that doesn't work. The issue of worry and concern is deeper in your life. It is set deeper because it's tied to your identity. And you need the God of the universe to break in right now and release you from your worries. That's only something that God can do for you. And the good news is, is that he wants to do it. And the way we receive it is we pause. We pause. We say, you're welcome here, God. We wait for God's spirit and we ask him, God, will you take my concern? Will you take my worry? And for no good reason, without any payment or anything transactional, you give me something first, human, then I will help you. He takes it. And I believe that in a single moment that God's Spirit can remind you and touch you and heal you and encourage you and take away what you may be experiencing. Um, and so remind yourself that God is with you and listen to the reminder of who you are from God. Brother, sister, this is what Jesus says to you. You are his beloved. You are his chosen one. You are not a human being, you are not a human doing, you're a human being. You're not a human doing, you're a human being. You are made in God's image, you're his chosen one, you are not the sum of your achievements, you are not the sum of your failures, you are not the sum of your worries. And he loves you so much, and there's nothing that you could do or say that would ever change that. You need to remember who you are. And the way we can remember who we are is in inviting God to do that in us. And when we remember who we are, we begin to take our place in the future that God has for us and for our church and for our community. We will be healthier uh, mentally, emotionally, physically. So we, let's do this. Let's become the kind of people who welcome God in and we become who we are when we remember who we are as God reminds us. Does this make sense to us? Can we try to do this? That some of us might need to go a little bit deeper. So here's what I want to do. Let's pray. Let's pray and let's uh, invite the band to melodically play behind me. So, so God, I, I do ask that you would be in this moment. There are people here that have serious and real worries and concerns. God, you're, you want to do something about that. And God, I ask that right now, by the power of your Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, we ask you, we ask you to begin to speak to people here. You'd speak to them by the power of your Spirit. I'm going to pause, and this type of prayer is where you would, uh, you would, you know, just lay out, um, you know, whatever, 
you're, you're experiencing any kind of worry to God. So let's just pause.